Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. Com. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder with us. You know, we're going to be learning a lot about building and scaling. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I almost lost track with all the companies that this founder, you know, has been part of. But I think that his journey is remarkable and we're going to find it very, very inspiring. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Greg Bailey. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Pleasure to be here. So born in Toronto, Canada, you know, give us a little of a walk through memory lane, Greg. How was life growing up there? Um, it was good. It, you know, cold. You know, Canada has two seasons, July and winter. Uh, but it was uh, good and, you know, have very good education system. You know, a kind of a comfortable place to grow up. So at what point, you know, do you decide that uh, perhaps the um, the healthcare or medicine is going to be, you know, for you, because that's what, you know, the career or perhaps like the path that you chose to go with, you know, in terms of study. So at what point it became evident that was, you know, the right path for you? Two aspects to that, Alejandro. One was um, my mother had always wanted to be a doctor, um, but she was a child prodigy in music. So she went down, she ended up being pushed down that pathway. And the second one was when I was six years old, the little girl who lived two doors down from me. Uh, developed meningitis, and they took her to the hospital, and she died. And as a six-year-old, I couldn't fathom how her going to the hospital had ended up with her dying. And my mother tried to explain. She unfortunately was allergic to the antibiotics that would have saved her life. Um, but it was unfathomable to a six-year-old. So it probably left an indelible mark and certainly has dictated my latest company. And we'll talk about your latest company in just a little bit. I guess uh, for you, right after, you know, studying, you know, medicine, you know, and you went to medical medical school, uh, you decided to go into emergency medicine. What does it mean, emergency medicine, and what were you doing during this time? Basically, you know, any accident, sudden pathologies that befall somebody, you come into the emergency department at the hospital. And so you're the first person that the first doctor that sees them if they're not specifically for an existing physician. So car accidents, heart attacks, um, all sorts of, you know, the miscellaneous things we do to ourselves. So I did that for 10 years. 
And at what point do you realize that uh, maybe there is something else, you know, for you? <laughs> the uh, problem with being an emergency room doctor is 20 to 30 percent of everyone you see after eight o'clock is drunk. They hurt themselves and they're obnoxious. So uh, it was, I was losing my empathy. So it was time to move on. And happily, I'd been successfully creating a career uh, in business along with practicing medicine. So then in, in this regard, I mean, you also got your feet wet when it came to syndicating real estate, uh, you know, stuff. I mean, medical, medical buildings. So how did this initiative come about and, and what was this exactly? <clears throat> so when I was practicing medicine, I had a large number of friends who were in the real estate market. It was very hot real estate market back in the 80s in Canada. And so I got brought in and we saw buildings that we thought we could turn into medical buildings. And so we syndicated those opportunities back to physicians um, and basically created a portfolio that we subsequently sold. That's amazing. Now, you know, obviously, you know, there's a ton of companies that you've done, you know, and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, for the listeners, you know, we're able to give enough time to what you're up to, you know, with Juvenescence. Uh, which is saying uh, pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, and there's some really interesting questions there that I like to ask you too on how to live better, supplements and, and things like that. Uh, I guess, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we go company by company and you tell me what was the biggest lesson learned and also what ended up being the outcome of that experience? And perhaps, you know, you give us like uh, 30 seconds on, on what you guys were doing with that company that you founded. So first one. Ascent Healthcare, you know, back in 1996, where you got started there and you were also uh, not only on the founding team, but then also a board member. What were you guys there doing there and what was the lesson learned and also the outcome? Yeah, it was a fabulous situation. And basically, we would buy the equipment that hospitals were throwing out and like laparoscopic scissors and endoscopy. And we clean it up and we'd sell it back to them. So you would basically buy it for pennies and sell it back for dollars. It was just a, a fantastic business model. No barrier to entry, which is very, very important, was a valuable lesson learned. It was my first VC deal. Um, basically, they came in and they changed the price last minute when they knew they had a gun to our head from $2 a share to $0.50. Cents. So it was my first and last VC deal. So no, uh, basically, it sold for $521 million. The 520 was for the VCs. The one million was for me. So don't do VC deals was the takeaway on that one. And and in that case, you know, obviously you also on this one had full visibility into the full cycle of a company, right? Like racing and exit and all of that stuff. What kind of what kind of clarity did you get from from that from achieving the finish line of of the cycle of a business from from inception to 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 really exit? I mean what kind of what kind of access or or education would you say that gave you to know that you could do that again? Basically, you learn it takes four times more money than you thought it would do, and it takes four times longer. Those are my rule of four that I learned from that business. It just takes so much time. It always happens much slower than you anticipate. Deals have their own chronology, and despite whatever you want, you can't accelerate them. They're going to evolve as they evolve. So that was my biggest takeaway from that. The other aspect was that I felt that I was comfortable finding opportunities that were financeable, you know, and that I was able to 
dictate the level of conversation so that a person who wasn't medical could understand what I was saying to get investors. And the next one, the next rodeo, uh, Vernet X, you know, that you did, you know, in 2005, there you were a founder and, and, and there was quite a few lawsuits there that, that, that were happening too. So, uh, so what happened, you know, with those lawsuits and, uh, and then also, you know, what, what were you guys doing and what was the outcome? There was another one just before called Medivation, which we started in 2004, but I wasn't a founder. Yeah, but maybe circle back to that one if you want, because yeah. I learned an awful lot from that one, um, where we created the number one drug in the world for prostate cancer. So basically, Vernetics was interesting, you know, that you would be able to tie up a technology that was very exciting, but, you know, getting people to license it, particularly if they had an existing project, you know, particularly in the United States, was fraught with legal complications. So we notified, you know, Microsoft at the time that they needed to license our product. They told us to go away. And we eventually had to unfortunately sue them. Um, happily, we won um, $200 million. And then we had, next up was Apple, who was using it for FaceTime. They should have had a license from us. And we are now... 18 years later, and they still have not settled with us. They continue to fight with us because one of the courts awarded us a half percent of the sale of every iPad and iPhone sold in the world, and that works out to $300,000 a day. So uh, Apple is going to fight this. Uh, my grandchildren probably won't see this money, and I'm, I don't have children yet. Wow, that's incredible. Eh? Like how typically those, those, those legal proceedings, you know, take so long. Unbelievable. Uh, now. Let's go back to, to Medivation. Uh, Medivation there, you were the uh, financier and then also um, an independent director. Um, you know, definitely prostate uh, cancer is a really, really big problem. Uh, so how was that journey uh, there with Medivation? It was what taught me that if you're going to do biotech, you want to do 10 projects and try to be right on one. And if you do that, you'll deliver an extraordinary return for the investors. So we started out with one product in Alzheimer's disease. And we added the second product for prostate cancer. We had the best results the world at the time had ever seen in Alzheimer's disease and phase two and then failed in phase three. But happily, we had the prostate cancer coming along. We had the best results or we had comparable results to a competitor in our prostate cancer drug as well. And it was because we had two and we had this portfolio that we were able to survive. The other thing that I learned is, you know, to work very, very closely with the FDA and the regulatory bodies. If you preempt that so they know what you're doing in advance, it's a much smoother journey. And so happily, it worked out well. Prostate cancer was incredibly successful. It $4.5 billion in sales last year. And unfortunately, it is such a big problem um, for men. Over 250,000 men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year wow. in, in Europe. And when it comes to uh, to investing in in biotech and and projects like this, I mean, what are your thoughts there on the ingredients? You know, the three main ingredients that get you excited about you know uh, deploying capital uh, in a biotech company, and and why? Yeah, I've been really fortunate. You know, and, and I guess by even the statement I'm about to make will clarify the number one point. I've worked with extraordinary people so that my biotech companies have gone through $25 billion in market cap. And so one is work with extraordinary people. The second element is to have a portfolio. 
at both Medivation and subsequently at Biohaven and now Juvenescence, you know, we have multiple products. And, you know, on this thesis that if you do 10, you can be right on one. What's really important, and most people go, oh, I don't understand biotech, I can't invest. But it's very similar to mining. You know, you put the money in, you, you run your clinical trial, and if it's successful, you're worth 10 times what you were worth the day before. And if it's unsuccessful, you, you're worth half of what you were worth before. So it's an odds game. Your chance of having a successful clinical trial that will have that 10x increase in valuation is usually at phase two. Your chance of a successful phase two varies historically between 22 and 54%. And I appreciate that's a huge delta. So it's 22% for cancer and autoimmune because placebo does really well. So it's hard to differentiate. And it's 54% for antibiotics or insulin because we worked at phase one, it's going to work in phase two. But if Alejandro, if you and I can be right one out of every three times and you made 10 times your money, how long would you play at a table in Monaco if every third hand you won 10 times your money, but you can't make just one bet? So the goal is to have this portfolio approach, work with extraordinary people and have uncorrelated um, assets so that you don't sink or swim with all 10. And I think that you can do incredibly well in biotech. I love that. Now, let's talk about Portage, you know, which, which you were there involved as a co-founder and then also chairman. Uh, that, you know, ended up, uh, you know, having assets worth $900 million. Uh, and obviously, there's all types of dividends that were paid out to investors and all that stuff. But, but I guess, you know, the question here is, what were you guys doing there? Now, what really ended up being the outcome and the lesson for you? So, you know, as you've gathered from my conversation, Dick, multiple products. So we, we took over the company and reconstituted it in uh, 2013 and basically went to make 10 bets. Worked with extraordinary people. I had a gentleman named Jim Mellon, who's a polymath, and I had Declan Dugan, who was the CEO, who was the former head of drug development at Pfizer. So we went out to get the 10 projects. And as one of my allies, Alex Pickett, said, one of our children ate the other ones. It became so obvious which asset we'd invested in was key. So we ended up investing $7 million in a, in a company that Declan started, and I became a board of director and used the money from Portage to finance called Biohaven. And as you say, we invested $7 million. We dividended it four years later to our shareholders, which basically was worth about $220 million. Had they held those shares today, they're worth over $900 million. Um, and so, again, we bet with Biohaven. We were betting on great people. They had a multiple portfolio entity. And, uh, and even at Portage, we did that. And subsequently, after doing the dividend, we acquired um, assets from another company that we started called Salvarex in immuno-oncology. And there we're building the portfolio. Currently, we have three different products in, at Portage. And then, you know, the, the last one that I want to ask you before really getting into juvenescence is Chelsea Avondale. I know that Chelsea Avondale is uh, still ongoing. You know, it has uh, raised some cash. Uh, so what's the deal with, uh, with this one? Yeah, so this was definitely straying outside of, you know, my sweet spot. As I said, you know, the lesson I learned from biotech uh, and from uh, the predecessor company, uh, Ascent Healthcare, was not to deal with VCs and to deal with extraordinary people. I came on again across a savant in the in the industry, Nilesh Basani, in, in in insurance, 
And I thought that this is an extraordinary person. So I threw a great deal of capital behind him, $25 million. And we started to build this insurance company and reinsurance company. And Nilesh has just done an extraordinary job building the company um, where we have just beat the industry odds dramatically by creating our own software to assess risk in property and casualty. And subsequently, we've raised, you know, further $50 million from third-party investors and a small round of, before that of $20 million. So it's actually more that we raised. Hey, guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. I mean, I can tell you one thing, and that is that as a founder, you're always thinking about branding. Now, one thing that is very important in that, you know, is that you need traction, you need to grow, you need to succeed. And having a name that is recognizable on a really amazing domain is the way to go. So that is why it's very important to establish the online presence with a clear and distinguishable identity. And you can do that with .tech domains. So .tech domains are the go-to namespace to build anything in tech. They have actually helped many brands in the industry to make a name for themselves just like 1x.tech with their advanced Androids designed to replicate human movements and behaviors. So really, really, really cool stuff and cutting edge. And again, thousands of companies like this, you know, are also taking advantage of .tech domains. So uh, also remember that .tech domains can do the same, you know, for your company. They're also providing a great offer to every single one of you in the DealMakers audience. Is one-year domain for $10 and a five-year domain for $50. So head now to the special URL, which is go.tech slash dealmakers. And that is, again, go.tech forward slash dealmakers. So go get your own domain. So then let's talk about now about the uh, Um, You know, your your latest baby. And here you are, the, um, the CEO as well, uh, and one of the co-founders. At what point do you become interested into aging and, you know, lifestyle and, you know, and all of that stuff? I mean, at what point does the idea come knocking to you? Um, I looked at getting into the vitamin supplement industry in the, in the 90s and couldn't find a place where I could differentiate it. So I've always been sort of inclined. And then being a physician, just paying attention, you know, to articles that are coming out, began to, you know, go on my own personal journey to try and you know, stay healthy, stay fit, eat properly. In uh, 12, 10 years ago now, uh, I met a guy named Luigi Fontana. Luigi is the number one person in the world on caloric restriction. Uh, 1,800 calories for men, 1,200 calories for women, and you will live longer and you'll stay healthy. The next year, I met Walter Longo. And Walter uh, and his research at USC had found out that you can almost get the same result without having to do it every day. If once every three months, you did five days, 800 calories. And if you do that, you mimic a very similar response by your bodies if you've been starving yourself for the full three months. So I thought that was interesting. The next person I met was Walter Bortz, who was then head of gerontology at Stanford. And he said, if you're fit, you mentally and physically decline at half percent a year, unfit 2% a year. Well, that's a heck of a delta, you know, to do that. And I guess my epiphany at that moment was there's nothing magical about exercise or diet. You know, basically, they must be doing something on a cellular level. And 
So then I started to dig in and found out that scientists were discovering the four major pathways that cause your cells to age. And so one thing I know about scientists, if they know the pathways, they're going to figure out how to tinker with them. So I started bombarding my two partners, Declan and Jim from Portage and Biohaven, with articles showing how the scientists were sorting this out. And, you know, and Jim, five years ago, six years ago, picked up the ball and said, I'm going to write a book about this. I'm going to meet the top people in the world. I'm going to go to the number one institutions in the world and, you know, and put together this book. And he basically gave Declan and I a roadmap of all the people we should be speaking to, to build a company, to truly modify how you age. So we have 11 products right now that hopefully will pan out in clinical trials where we will be able to slow halt or reverse aging. So alter and reverse aging. I mean, that sounds like, I mean, if, if you were to actually achieve that, what would it look like? You know, I mean, it has enormous and profound consequences to humanity. Um, the one thing I'll say, Alejandro, it's going to happen so much faster than your viewers think. These products are going to come to market very quickly. You know, we launched a ketone ester. We know that University of California, Berkeley, found that animals that were in ketosis on a chronic basis live 25% longer, protects their heart and their brain. So here's a product you can get today that could potentially materially change how long you live. We have another product we licensed in from University of Michigan. And the people who have this pathway turned on live long, eight to 10 years longer healthy. In January 6th, we published, our scientists published that they cut off the limb of a living entity and regrew a functional limb. It was in a frog, and they've now reproducing the model in a mouse. So science fiction is becoming science. Um, recently, David Sinclair's lab out of Harvard said that they were able to epigenetically, which is basically change your genes and your DNA while you're alive, were able to reverse aging in mice. So as I said, happens so much faster than you think. This has just been an amazing journey for me to see what's coming and to work with some of the smartest people in the world, addressing one of the biggest issues in the world, you know, longe healthy longevity. And in terms of um, capital, I mean, obviously this is capital intensive to be able to achieve all this stuff. How much money have you guys raised to date? Juven Essence has raised $249 million. And how, how did you go about raising this? Because obviously you had the lessons learned from raising venture money on the first rodeo. So how did you go about raising money now for this one? I know this is going to come as a shock to you and to your viewing audience, but wealthy people want to live longer. Um, who knew? So um, our first financings were a lot of ultra high net worths who were betting on us to find the drugs that would allow them to live longer healthy. We have a couple of biotech funds. We have an insurance company as well. And the founders have put in $75 million. So we're in the midst of a raise now, $150 million raise with Barclays. And our goal now is to bring in more of the institutional investors uh, to prepare for a, a public offering in the next 12 to 24 months. Market That's willing. incredible. That's incredible. Now, you were talking about those products, those 11 products that you're working on. I mean, typically, what is the process of getting one of those products to market? There's two paths you can take. Surprisingly, and it was interesting because I always used to get in trouble with people saying, why don't you do more natural products? 
and not realizing that some of the biggest blockbusters in medicine are actually natural products. Aspirin is a natural product. Digitalis is a natural product. But uh, so we found a lot of natural products that, that actually materially change how long you age. And so with those, because they're safe, you can go a pathway with the regulatory body called generally recognized as safe, and you can get them on the market in under two years. So we have indeed done that with some of our natural products. That's how we got the ketone ester onto the market, you know, in just under two years. Then there's others that are more conventional. You know, there's regular pharmaceuticals like the one out of University of Michigan, where you literally need to do the seven to eight years clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, and can cost up to $100 million to bring them to clinic. And then the regeneration, the regulatory bodies are, you know, regrowing a limb or still sorting out the pathway for something like that. So you have to be particularly creative and how you work around the regulatory body. If you and I had a product today that allowed people to live 10 years longer healthy, there is no regulatory pathway to get it on the market. They haven't recognized aging as a disease. The World Health Organization did in 2018. So it's coming and it, it's going, you know, the regulatory bodies will catch up, but it's still a work in progress. Happily, all the drugs that allow you to live longer generally treat the chronic disease of aging as well. So obviously, Greg, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, it's going to take some time for me to be able to go to like, you know, my my nearby, you know, pharmacy, you know, or store and, and, and buy the product, you know, to help me live longer. I guess, you know, if you were in my shoes now and I'm like, hey, I, I want to live longer, what should I do? So a um, couple of things, you know, the number one lifestyle thing you can do, I agree with Walter Bortz at Stanford is fitness. You materially change by 4X your mental and your physical degeneration as you age. As you, you know, if you look at 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds who are fit versus the ones that aren't, I mean, it's night and day. They look like they're from different planets. So that's number one. Number two lifestyle thing is obviously diet. You know, we now know out of a study that came out in January 2018, there is no perfect diet. It's ethnocentric. White Japanese people can eat white rice without getting... Uh, diabetes, if you and I ate the same amount, there's a very good chance we become diabetic. The Mediterranean diet for most you know, Caucasian people from Europe is, is probably the best diet, 10 to 12 servings of vegetables, three to five servings of fruit. Scott Simpson at the Perkins Institute says you massively overeat protein, that protein should only be 15 to 20% of your diet. Healthy carbs should be 70%, and the rest should be healthy fats. So diet would come next. As far as drugs and supplements, I do think being in ketosis regularly, and you can get products that put you into ketosis today, will materially change how you live. Um, and then, as I said, there's going to be three or four more natural products that come down that will directly affect your aging process. And really quickly, for the people that are listening that are like, what is ketosis? What, what is ketosis for the people that are listening? Yeah, so basically, if you stop eating today, you probably have about 36 hours of blood sugar in, in your body, and you have to eat through it first, use it up as, as cells. After that, you'll begin to break down fat. And when you break down fats, they become ketones. And when they break, and the liver turns them into something called BHB that your cell can then use as energy. What we've learned in the last few years is BHB ketones are a much better food source for a lot of your cells than using sugar. 
you know, sugar has obviously become glucose a bad actor. So the more times I can be using ketones and BHP, the more advantageous it is to my health. What we've learned in the last 10 years is I don't have to starve myself to get into ketosis. We're a drug development company. So when we discovered this ketone, we discovered, when we unlicensed this one from the Buck Institute, what we did was we found out if you take a drink of ketones, our ketone ester, within 15 to 30 minutes, you will be in ketosis. Your ketones will have a nice, robust level in your blood system so your cells can use it as an energy source. I don't have to starve myself to get there. I can do it simply by taking this drink. So this has been a big deal. And it, it's, you know, basically the, the science is all sorts of different universities have validated. You want to be in ketosis on a, on a regular basis. And it's much easier to do by drinking something than starving yourself. That's incredible. Or a ketogenic diet, which is also difficult. And and just, you know, out of curiosity, you know, for the supplements, you know, any specific supplement that you think, you know, like should be a must? Yeah, I think that there was a study that came out this summer that said if you're on fish oil, omega-3 and vitamin D3, and you're fit, you decrease your chance of cancer by 60, 60%. Wow. That's a huge percentage. The study needs to be repeated. I, I, I don't think it was a perfect study. But vitamin D3 and omega-3 are, you know, incredibly safe and fitness is just generally good. So there's no sort of downside to following that regimen, right? Why not? Um, I, we do know that vitamin D3 has all sorts of wonderful benefits. Same with omega-3's effect on inflammation. Um, I would also, Mayo Clinic has begun to promote folate, uh, vitamin B6, as a very important uh, one that potentially is anti-aging. Lots of people talk about turmeric, curcumin, the you know the herb that everybody in India uses in, uh, plentifully. Um, so those are you know nice, safe, easy ones to take. And then you can get into more esoteric things. Uh, there's a drug you can buy over the counter in Spain, Italy, and Portugal called metformin. And people who are on metformin seem to have a lower incidence of cancer and Alzheimer's disease. Um, Einstein University is in the midst of running a clinical or putting together a clinical trial to see whether metformin is legitimately an anti-aging drug. And I've been taking it for eight to nine years now, metformin. Wow. That's amazing. Now, now, Greg, question here. Imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world, and this is gonna this is gonna look beautiful to you, this world, in a world where the vision of juvenescence is fully realized. What does that world look like? So our goal when we started the company was not to increase how long you live, it was how to, to increase how long you live healthy. We have a huge crisis about to face the world, Alejandro. We do not have enough money to afford to take care of the elderly. We have an inverted pyramid. There's not enough young people at the base to support financially the older people and we're living longer, but unhealthy. So we have to get them to live longer healthy. So my world of juvenescence is right in the near term to be able to do this. Gives you an 85-year-old who's still um, participating in life, you know, um, has a sense of purpose, is healthy, because we know that 95% of the budget of socialized medicine is spent on the last five years of life. It, wouldn't it be great difference between when you are healthy and when you die now is 10 years, difference between health span and lifespan. Wouldn't it be great if it was one week, one day, one hour, you were healthy up until the end? 
Interestingly, and I don't know why, and everybody asks, Denmark is three years between when they're healthy and when they die. So that was always our aspiration. Mind you, if we do this, you'll clearly live longer. But that was all. So my world of juvenescence, if we were to realize this dream, is to do this. It's also not only to slow cellular aging, but I also need to prevent the degeneration of tissues because of you went out in the sun or you hurt your knee skiing or playing tennis. So can I regenerate a knee? And so that's why we're also doing the regeneration where we regrew the limb. Wow. Now, obviously here we're talking about the future, but imagine if you were able, you know, if I was, let's talk about the past here. Imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. And I bring you back to that time, you know, perhaps in the 90s, uh, where you were, you know, thinking now about uh, leaving emergency medicine and and going more and, and tackling the business side of things. And you had the opportunity of having a sit down with that younger Greg and being able to give that younger Greg one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I guess work with extraordinary people, you know. There's been lots of quotes. You want to be the dumbest person in the room and you're in the right room, you know, because then you have the greatest opportunity for success. And so it took me a little bit to sort it through, but that unequivocally, there's lots of great products that have never seen the light of day because it didn't have good managers. And there's lots of companies that had very average products, but they had great management and the managers landed on their feet and made extraordinary businesses. That's amazing. So that would probably be what I would tell myself. Very profound. Now, Greg, for the people that are listening, you know, that uh, that would love to get in, in touch and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? The, the email is probably the best. It's uh, Greg, G-R-E-G, at Juve Labs. And Juve Labs is J-U-V-L-A-B-S.com. So Greg at JuveLabs.com. Amazing. Well, Greg, thank you so, so much for being on the DealMaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Ah, a complete pleasure, Alejandro. Thank you very much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.